Sinister Myth is produced by Alex Amateur, Deborah Eschen, Paul Kotheimer, and Mackenzie Warren. All opinions expressed are solely those of Sinister Myth producers and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of The Ohio State University. This month, we have a snippet of a forthcoming interview with the British writer Roger Robinson, whose book A Portable Paradise won the T.S. Eliot and Ondaatje Prizes. He lives between England and Trinidad, and he spoke to myself, Rob McKenzie and Christian Evans in an interview commissioned for Magma Poetry Journal out next spring. Rob asked Roger about how to survive in dark and difficult times, while Christian posed a question about what attracts people to white supremacy. I just wonder about when we're living in a you know a, a difficult world at the moment. It's a world that's this COVID. There's a lot of isolation. There's a fair bit of racial tension both yeah. here, but especially in the states at the moment. There's Donald Trump. Um, there's Johnson. There's Brexit. There's a, all kinds of really difficult things that are that are happening politically, and I just wonder how. Where is there hope for the people who you're you're thinking about in Portable Paradise as well, and and how how does poetry fit in with that? Everything goes in waves and cycles, and there's always a sense that the people who try to change the world have work to do, and it's about really the people who can do heavy lifting start doing it. The people who have privilege. Start using your privilege on behalf of others. The people who have access start using your access on behalf of others. You know, it's like now is the time to like. If it is that you have a child and you've never thought to yourself, I hope nobody kills my child. Then you have some privilege there, and how can you use it on on behalf of others? Not out of guilt, but because this is how the world changes. You know, I'm black, but I also have privileges as a man. You know what I'm saying? As a man, I have privilege. So I have to look at, I'm a black man. How can I use my male privilege to do some work on behalf of somebody who doesn't have that? You know what I'm saying? And now is the time for people to do that. And I'm not telling people what to do, but this is just the idea. The idea is if you have access, if you have privilege, now is the time for you to do some work. It's not good enough to be not racist. Now we have to be anti-racist. It has to be an active thing. It's not good enough for you to be, not be sexist. You have to be anti-sexism, anti-homophobic, anti-ableist. You know, you have to work on behalf of those things. And sometimes these things feel like, well, well what can I do? And how can I work out what you can? That's what I think. And that's the only way that we could start swinging this thing back up because we seem to be in a very deep part of the sink. But again, Poetry brings hope. And I keep on saying this all the time. Poems are empathy machines. If you start reading about devaluation of black bodies and then you devalue a black body, then you're not reading the poem well enough. It's, a, it's just like if you're in therapy, you practice what your response is going to be in therapy. A poem can be like that. Not therapy, but it can help you to practice empathy. So when you come away from it, you're able to practice this empathy out in the world. To me, that is the importance of poetry. That's why I stick with it. I believe that's why poets are valued in the entire world. Why would dictators say, kill the poets first? Why would they say that? They don't have any money. They're not, they're not, they're not politicians. 
But what it can create is empathy for somebody's situation. Poets are revered around the world. They're not pop stars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's because they do important work with emotions and empathy, and that's important for the world, you know? Yeah. Something that I really appreciated about the collection as well was how you drew attention to historical lineages. So uh, I feel like you draw a kind of line through uh, different kinds of histories and you take yeah. it from slavery to Granville. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. You really show like how that is actually a, a kind of set of repercussions or impact. And the, the legacy of slavery, people like to think that that's over and done with and want to kind of forget about it. Yeah. But we still have the impacts of that happening now, and that needs to be addressed really urgently. And so I, I really like that about the book, how you, you're telling people a story that some people don't want to hear, uh, but needs to be heard. And um, I wondered whether that just happened or, or whether you set about doing that with that in mind or, or, or what, what, how that came about. Uh, it became clear to me in terms, like, even when I had that kind of thin red line about the valuation of the black body, but, and then I started to ask myself, so what I do, I ask myself loads and loads of questions about things. So, like, at a certain point in the book where I had the kind of, like, thin line of the valuation of the black body, it's like, well, when did this start? Why did it start? How did it start? And I think what's really good in, about England and slavery and even America is that they can make things invisible really quickly. So even my son in a school doesn't know anything about English history and slavery, but yet they're doing history in, in Black History Month. You know, unfortunately, England's slavery, colonialist, and imperialist history is abysmal, and they want it erased, and they want it washed away. And so my son asked me, why do we call Americans African-Americans? And then I had to explain to a six-year-old why slavery exists, what happened. And he was just like, what? But he completely got it. And he understands it now. He understands that some people want to exert power and take their resources and devalue people. Like it's, it's not a hard concept. So I think, think back to some of the discussions we've had about why people find racism appealing and groups like the Proud Boys appealing and so on. It is an emptiness and a meaninglessness in their lives. People who are frightened feel that their place in the world is is slipping away from them. Also, well, I'm quite interested in the whole idea of doublethink. The rich classes are very good at understanding those types of people. Because the rich man's trick is to manipulate the people with nothing and make them feel, how, is, how are the working classes aligning with Donald Trump? How is that happening? That's what I have to understand. How does he make a bunch of people with no jobs feel like that's the man for me? Because it's, it's something beyond race. It's about tribalism. If you listen to how Trump talks, so Trump is not an idiot. I think Trump is a genius. Yeah, and lots of people disagree with me on the point. Trump's a genius in terms of he understands the need for spectacle. And he understands how media works. Did you all see the, the debates? I was like, man, Biden, you're not going to win. You're not going to. You're going to lose because your will is not strong enough for spectacle. It's not, you don't understand how the world works. Yeah. You understand what I mean? So everybody came around. Did anybody talk about anything Biden said? Nobody talked about anything. You lose, you're lost. That's lost. No, and I am somebody working actively against Trump's ideals. But he doesn't understand this world. 
and Trump does. Like the fact that you are talking, we're talking about him today. We're not talking about Biden. We're talking about Trump. Mm-hmm. That is how an idea spreads. You yeah. understand what I'm saying? And, and that's how you win. What he's done is ripped up the entire book. Okay, this is the game of American politics. This is the book of American politics. I'm just going to rip this up. Okay, so now we're playing my game. But then nobody knows what to do because we thought we were playing American politics. No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's like yo, I ripped that book up a long time ago. And also, too, you know, to bring it back to um, writing is that you have to understand the thing behind the thing as a writer. You have to go deeper. It's not just surface things. And if I, was, if I say a portable paradise, I was like, how can I go deeper? And I, I tell you, when I was writing this book, I sent it to my friends. It's like, you are nuts. Nobody's going to read this. This is just too real and too historically correct and too emotional and too way for it. But the point is that I did not care. This was the book I thought I needed. It was the most complex embodiment of myself. And it was also the book I think that people who are interested in these issues would need. And that's the difference between that and a butterfly hotel.